All right, welcome to Truth and Fiction. You're here today with your host, Josiah, and... And I'm Steve. And we are talking about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest by Ken Casey. Yeah, and what a what a book that was. Um, so, yeah, we're... Um, many people know... I was talking to Josiah earlier about how people know this as either two things, as a very famous movie uh, with Jack Nicholson or as an equally famous book. So some people just have the movie to reference... Uh, some just have the book and some have both. So we're going to kind of focus mainly on the book, but we will bleed into the movie just a little bit. Um, yeah, it's fairly true to the, to the story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, uh, so I'll give you a quick plot summary to kind of, and it is very easy to summarize. So, uh, the story takes place in a mental institution in Oregon who, uh, Ken Casey had actually worked in a mental institution for a few years. So he had, you know, many of this, much of this, I believe is, some firsthand knowledge that he's that he's fictionalized, but uh, in this mental hospital, uh, we we encounter a a nurse, Nurse Ratchet, who runs things with pretty much an iron fist. She is uh, in control of the whole thing. Um, we have a character named Chief, who is our narrator, who is a, an uh, I was going to say an inmate, but I guess it's is a patient in the <laughs> in the uh, hospital there, and he's our narrator. And we see through Chief that a new arrival comes, and that arrival is is uh, McMurphy, who is the Jack Nicholson character in the movie. And the Chief does a great job of just watching and telling us what he's seeing, and he sees something very different about Mac, who comes in, and the reason he's there is because he would have been, you know, he, he's he's sentenced, uh, he's 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 sort of a, a career criminal. He's been in and out of uh, jails and and. Um, Mac, that the, is. Mac, that is. Yes, thank you. He's been in and out of jail. So he's kind of a sort of a ne'er-do-well. Um, but he doesn't want to go to a work program. <laughs> he, and he figures that if he says that he's got some insanity, that he can go to the mental institution and get great meals and a nice clean bed, and it's going to be an easier way to serve his sentence. So he voluntarily goes or, or makes a decision to feign insanity to get into this mental institution, uh, thinking it's going to be quite easy and uh, realizes that he's really in for a confrontation with this nurse ratchet who runs things a little and, and so the runs things really differently than Mac is used to. So what we have the big I think the the biggest conflict in the novel is definitely between Ratchet and McMurphy. Um, but throughout that conflict and the resolution of that conflict, um, we get lots and lots of commentary on society, on men and women, on chaos versus order. Um, so it's got a whole lot going on there. Um, and it has a pretty, be some spoilers here because it does have a, a rather, you know, <coughs> rough ending <laughs> it's got one of those beautiful tragic and hopeful endings right i was thinking too we didn't talk about this but our other characters that we've talked about um ferris bueller and mm-hmm. um and uh jack sparrow jack sparrow thank you were a similar character mcmurphy but they had uh more of a comedic element to it this right. one this is a this is also mcmurphy is also a sort of savior just as uh, Jack Sparrow is, and he's, he's a great hero um, because he sets people free and teaches people to use their own agency, just as Ferris Bueller and Jack Sparrow uh, impact others with their actions right. in, in a very positive way. So does McMurphy accept the big differences, and I guess it's just the difference between comedy and tragedy because right. in this novel, uh, McMurphy does not live. 
No, he uh, kind of gets the of mice and men uh, finish there. <laughs> <laughs> the of mice and men finish. I like that. That's very true. All right. So that's kind of a basic plot overview. So, Josiah, what do you want to talk about as far as the, you know, uh, some of our big themes? All right. So there's a few uh, big themes here. And, and uh, Steve and I talked about this a little bit beforehand because this book was really so rich that uh, there wasn't much hope for us having a coherent conversation straight off. <laughs> so we tried to organize our thoughts here. What did we What did we start out here? What, we, we started talking about uh, this idea of chaos and order. Ah, yes. Okay. So I, this is a theme I think we've probably touched on on every podcast so far. It's it's a very um, it's probably one of the most archetypal debate not debates it's one of the most archetypal ideas that is at least somewhat addressed in virtually every major work of fiction i've come across and i only see it more and more the more i look for it but in this particular um novel there is this beautiful tension between this sort of hyper chaotic person who is mcmurphy and and how he is in some sense the antidote to the hyper structured orderly ratchet so ratchet is is in many ways, the symbol of the the um, tyrant king, actually. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact mm-hmm. that they make her a woman uh, only makes her tyranny that much more despicable because the the feminine is is very often portrayed as the more as the chaotic element or sort of the or I should say the chaotic element of nature is archetypically described as, as the feminine in the feminine, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's the, um, the, the dragon is the, the, the dragon sort of the, chaos, the unpredictable, yeah, you know, the, 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 the sea, like, mm-hmm. you know, Calypso from, from, uh, the pirates of the Caribbean. But in this, in this instance, she actually represents the, the hyper, the tyrannical King, the structure mm-hmm. that has become too structured and, and must be dismantled for the, for the well being of everyone. Mm-hmm. Now, McMurphy, he's the, the, uh, the hyper testosterone pumped stallion who's going to come into her little corral and, and break some fences. And, uh, and in this case, that's her, her tyranny of this particular ward has been a burden on everyone involved. The, the, the doctor involved has been uh, sort of castrated in some sense. You know, she's described as this ball cutter. She's, she's tamed everyone out of all possible risk and danger. And in the process, she's actually created this peaceful psych ward, which is kind of interesting because on the outside, she's admired as this great curator of the space because she's managed to create a peaceful environment for these crazies, which is uh, almost a miracle. Everyone's like, how did she do it? It's so amazing. (laughs) But at the same time, you can only do that by tyrannizing people. Right. And, and, yeah, it's and emasculating the, people and taking away their voice and taking away their agency, and that's exactly what she has done. And she holds it with a tight fist. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so, I, I mean, she works metaphorically, too. I've mentioned to Josiah that this, you know, obviously this, this is a... This novel was written in the 60s where Casey was very suspicious of the government, very suspicious and, and, and very much interested in, hey, we've got to watch what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Don't conform. Don't give in. And I think he uses this in, in part, certainly not in whole, but in part as a microcosm of this warning against government control right. and what and that means to concede and what that means to conform and say, okay, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. Um, we see right. the dangers of that play out in Cuckoo's Nest because our, with the exception of McMurphy, the other 
patients there are completely passive and don't yeah. have a voice until they're given some agency and voice by McMurphy. Right. And I love that Chief describes all of these other patients as small. So he's got this mm-hmm. this ongoing analogy of big and small that kind of plays out throughout the whole the whole novel and those those who give up their agency, those who give up their sense of responsibility and a sense of personal capacity for accomplishment become small. They become weak. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. um that's actually that's that's a common theme in in a lot of uh, <clears throat> more more modern literature. I'm actually thinking of um, uh, Peterson talks about this. How he he one of his rules of thumb is to never say anything that makes him feel weak, and mm-hmm. and there is and there's this sense of this very real sense, and I and I've noticed it myself that when I say things or do things that in some sense compromise who I am, there's this very subtle feeling of being becoming smaller or becoming mm-hmm. weaker. Yeah. That's it's hard to put a finger on, but Chief describes it as like a visual. He sees things visually right. and, yeah. and he, that's why he thinks he's crazy, but you are, you come to sort of find out that his visual representations of the world are actually accurate to reality. Accurate, they're just sure. they're just sort of symbolic. Mm-hmm. They're they're imagistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, he sees how everyone becomes small and his father became small as he conformed to the combine. That's right. That's right. <clears throat> and then McMurphy comes in and he's big. He's oh, this huge big. guy. Larger he's described than as this yeah. giant Irishman. Right. You know? and, and bellowing laughter in this place right. that doesn't have laughter. No laughter. You know, a very human, very necessary element of humanity and it's missing. It and it's is. And McMurphy notices it right off the bat. Nobody right. laughs in here. Nobody <laughs>, laughs in here. And which so he is, sort of fills the space on his own. <laughs> right. But I think it's his way of saying that, um, you know, you guys aren't, human you're not not, free yeah you're you're not free and you're not being who you could be Mm -hmm. um and i think subconsciously or perhaps consciously takes upon himself to free them right uh and And to to your social analogy that you're talking about with the 60s the 60s socially was this time when when actually society kind of swung free like there Mm -hmm. there was this breaking free obviously the sexual revolution Mm -hmm. there was this time where there was the shaking off of many societal norms norms. Yeah, yeah yeah that were maybe hyper constrictive mm-hmm. and yeah there's puritanical morals were sort of shrugged off in a lot of ways mm-hmm. there was this a pretty profound breaking free and we're still kind of experiencing the consequences of that and uh, like my old history teacher morehouse used to say the, the pendulum swings right sure <clears throat> and and i see today a world where perhaps much of what's going on seems to be the um well, I feel like there's there's been a swing back into the into that structure, mm-hmm. into the into the authoritarian right. over the course of sort of the late '90s, early 2000s, yeah. with these ever expanding government, with mm-hmm. uh, colleges limiting free speech more and more. There's this kind of intense push towards more authoritarianism right. in, more in government. social, more, more government, sure. yeah, exactly, yeah. more yeah. laws, more, and and uh, I'm starting to see perhaps now is maybe the time where we need more McMurphys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This could be a new, a new sixties era. Yeah. But that, that is the solution to some of this. Right. Right. And I think that, um, what we see through these, uh, these patients, and I think we'll talk about character a little bit. Um, do you want to talk about character? And uh, the reason yeah. I mentioned that is because I was thinking about how this looks for these particular patients, mm-hmm. you know, what that how means. It looks like to from be. the outside. Um, well, how it looks for them to, actually take agency or right. to, to uh, right. what is know. their personal experience yeah. of taking um, their own agency? What does that look like right, for them as right. individuals? Yeah. Um, so we could talk about that a little bit um, because what we have are these guys that are, that are um, 
labeled insane or that they're sort of misfits of society. They don't fit in. They're right. not, they're not quote unquote normal. Yeah. Uh, um, they're definitely they're, not normal. <laughs> right. But there's nothing as, as Casey brilliantly shows, there's nothing actually really weird about these guys no. and, or dangerous and, 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 for that and dangerous or even really different. Um, they are their, their problems. And again, I'm using air quotes here. Their problems or their issues are, are relatively minor. We have one character who's struggling with sexuality, which in the 60s was a bigger deal, but that is what's made him sort of an outcast or an other, and that's most likely in in his mind, uh, or right. that, that he could, you know, um, that, that he's doesn't belong in society because he prefers a same sex, uh, he's attracted to a member, of, or attracted to members of his sex. Um, and then we have an, another, a 31-year-old sort of man-child who has a, 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 a strong relationship with his mom. And, and again, nothing inherently creepy or bizarre or weird that happens to this day. He's a 31-year-old virgin um, mm-hmm. who is, uh, uh, that's what sets him apart. Um, we have uh, the chief who, who is our, probably our one who has the most serious mental illness. Most people have characterized him as having schizophrenia, but he has moments of clarity that are clearer than almost anything in the, <laughs> in the novel. Right. Um, and I'm no psychologist, but I didn't, I couldn't find anything that would actually describe him as a schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. The, the, his, his seeing the world as images that are very different than what's actually going on, Mm -hmm. at least on the, on the, on the outset. Uh, I don't, I don't know what you would, I mean, that's seeing things, I suppose. Yeah. His, 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 uh, sounds like more just an extreme artistic. Well, yeah, but he does have some pretty, there's some hallucinatory experiences that he has in there and he describes them as the fog that comes in and this fog, um, he sort of rises above it and he doesn't speak and he, and he's sort of, they, many of them think he's deaf and dumb what the hell they describe him and he doesn't, Mm -hmm. doesn't say anything. So they, one can only imagine what he's doing as he's sitting there, as he's going through some of these pretty intense hallucinations of fog coming in and I'm rising above myself and I'm looking and, and, and so some of the things that he experiences are not real, you know, right, so right. he has, these, yeah, he uh, definitely describes things that aren't, aren't literally true right. for sure. And, and once we get to know him, we realize that those come when he is under some uh, certain amount of stress or anxiety or certain things that are not going really well for him. And, and he also mm-hmm. speaks a little bit to his medication as well. So right. he talks about the, what he has to take this red pill that sort of, you know, doesn't just make him sleep, but actually just takes away his whole mental capacity. Right. And I kind of got the impression that that the the combine itself and those, especially those drugs that he was getting, were what caused the fog. Yeah. And exactly. Right. So that it's yeah. like there's this. He's f- experiencing visually the effects of things that are happening within his anatomy, essentially, like in his actual right. biology, mm-hmm. and that's. I've I've heard of that as a as something that happens with really artistic people, like people mm-hmm. who have a, a strongly artistic bent, mm-hmm. that they actually see the world differently. And I could be totally wrong here, but that's what he comes across as to me as this like profoundly left-brained artistic individual yeah, yeah. who who sees the world just very differently. He does. He absolutely does. And he can't articulate it and doesn't even try to. Right. You know. But ironically, he articulates it quite well for us. You know right. I mean, as, yeah, right. as readers, we're like, uh-huh. oh, I totally get that. Yeah. And I think that the chief too is 
you know, if I'm on a literal level, I do think that there's references to this issue of maybe some kind of PTSD, mm-hmm. you know, that he's been, he's served in the army. Um, he's seen, um, he's right. seen death and destruction. He's seen his, uh, his father emasculated by, well, we need to talk a little bit more about the combine of that because that comes up again, but he's seen his right. father, uh, lose everything as, as, as a true chief, right. um, to the white man who, who, uh, you know, take advantage of him and, and, and basically shrink him down to use Josiah's, uh, it's kind of like where he learns how to be, how to be silent. He learns how to get by is from watching his father try to stand up and he kind of loses hope in his own ability to stand up and to be the mountain that he is by, by watching his father get destroyed by, by his father standing up. Right. And so it's an interesting comparison that he actually sees McMurphy go through the same process where he's sort of beat down by the combine uh-huh. and eventually the combine gets the best of him. Yeah. Uh, but it's his choice this second time around to not let that destroy him, but instead you let that inspire him. So yeah. he kind of changes his own pattern yeah. uh, in the process of watching the combine beat. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the combine and what that, what that yeah, big that metaphor image. means. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean to you? Um, I guess to me, the combine is, is sort of the, uh, the, f- the social force, which, uh, tries to impose its will on the individual. Right. Uh, right. As, as, as a combine works, it just plows through stuff and, tr- and, and it's absolutely in control. You can't, right. if you get caught up in the combine, yeah, you're going <laughs> to, yeah, you're going to be you're gonna get sliced and diced and, and it's going to, it's going to absolutely control you. So it's this, it's this thing that's coming and moving and is hugely destructive. to a machine, right? Like the combine yes. is a harvesting yes, uh, exactly. machine. Yeah. Yeah. It's the thing that, that basically, yeah, if you think about it, just rolling through and churning and, and, and basically controlling everything that's in it within its path. And yeah. if you are in the way of the combine, you will be swept up in it and yeah. you will be harmed. Um, or changed, <laughs> at least. Right. Um, and so um, Chief talks about how there's really no escape from the combine, but sees a glimmer of hope in McMurphy, who seems to have avoided that. Wow, this guy lives in the same world that I live in, yet look at the way he's looking at life. And looking right. look at this way of, he's, he's actually, it's almost like he stood in the path of the combine, the combine went right over him, and he emerged <laughs> unscathed. And it's, it's almost unheard of for Chief to... Okay. See someone who can defeat the combine. And what's interesting is that Mac goes to his death fighting the combine without ever getting smaller. Right. So it's like he, he still he still dies at the hand of the combine. Right. Essentially, well, he is he's destroyed at mm-hmm. the hand of the combine. Mm-hmm. But but this time when Chief watches it, it's like unlike his father who ends up destroying himself in the process or getting smaller in the process and mm-hmm. eventually giving in. Uh, Chief sees McMurphy stand up to it and get destroyed, and that's inspiring. Right, and 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 that is symbolized in in this big piece of equipment that's in the hospital, this control panel oh, that's, right, that's yeah. giant and bolted to the ground. And McMurphy yeah, knows, and he he puts he says, "I can lift this thing up. I can pick this thing up. It'll have it'll, We'll talk about that later because it has bigger repercussions later. Image. But um. But McMurphy, this idea that he is going to lift this thing and everyone knows he Throw can't. It through and, the and, window. His, and his hands are bloodied and he strains and he rips his hands apart and try, you know, because he is going to fight against this. Even though right. I cannot, maybe I can't win, but everyone I am not going to. Everyone knows he can't. He knows he can't. He knows he can't, but he is not going to go down without a fight. Yeah. And that's, I think, the way that he stands up to Ratchet and this issue of control. 
um, is is and it's called the control panel. So it's a, <laughs> it, and so right. I am not gonna I'm gonna rip this thing out of the ground. Yeah. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yeah, and he put, yes, has like put a bunch of money on it, so he yeah, raises the yeah. stakes a bunch of times, yeah. and then of so, course, yeah, he doesn't do it. So that yeah, and I think that I think I think Chief looks at that, and I think we should look at that and say, wow, look at this guy. He's yeah. he, he can't he is everything to lose. Uh, but he's going to do it anyway. And and the the and this is perhaps maybe the the most the key takeaway for for both McMurphy and Chief is that McMurphy does end up lifting it through Chief. Like he, <laughs> right, if it right. weren't for him, it would have never gotten moved. Right. But Chief actually does move it. Yeah, I was going to save that for the end there. I was just going <laughs> to kind of. But it's true. It is true. He. Uh, right. I was just talking about how like because we were talking about how. Um, McMurphy sort of fights against the man, right? Or, so, right you know, and, and I think it. that's sim- symbolized by this fight against this this thing that should never you, you shouldn't be able to have any impact on it at all. But right. you can. But you can. And maybe not you individually, as we'll find out later, but through other people. Right. So, yeah. There's this great line in one of my favorite um, um, uh, bands that they say, "It's uh, the first one through is an easy kill, but no one's safe if we all stand still." Oh, and nice. it's this like that's that's Mac. He's the first guy through, right. and he goes down. But but in this process, it sets a bunch of people free to actually right. take their own agency as and, well. And that's yeah. Let's talk about him as and 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 this is an actual a pretty fun novel to teach and to work with young people because it does have things like the control p- panel that are pretty accessible symbolism. Right. You don't have to pretty really dig and pretty yeah. explicit symbols, which, you know, I, I, I appreciate that. Um, it, that helps with universality when people go, Oh, I get that. Oh, I see that metaphor. Mm-hmm. So he does a nice job with that. Um, so one of the things that also is pretty explicit in here is McMurphy as a Christ figure. Such a um, weird Christ lots figure. Lots of uh, <laughs> well, there is lots. Of, let's talk about some of yeah, the yeah. imagery there we have. There's imagery. lots of uh, there's references to with the shock therapy that's that's uh, done on a cross shaped table uh, where he has to lay <laughs> down, sort of spread out. Right. The the things that they put on his head are are you know referred to as a crown of thorns. You know, yeah. um, he does come in and. Um, and as we said, we, we already know it's a tragedy and he does die, but he <clears throat> dies to set others free. Right. Um, so there's lots of parallels between him as, a, do, can you think of any other parallels between yeah, him there, as a um, Christ figure? There's this verse that says that uh, Christ was full of joy beyond that of his companions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and one could say that McMurphy was the same. Right, like there right. was, there is this aspect of his personality. He just had a much deeper root of joy than anyone else. Right, right. Um, and <clears throat> there's also another verse, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And it's kind of a common, commonly quoted verse. Uh-huh. But um, in, in many sense, in a sense that, that that also was McMurphy's strength was this fact that he, he could maintain this, even if it was a facade, even if he was faking it, but like there was a, a, a root of yeah. positivity and joy right, right. that empowered him to overcome. I mean, that that's, I think, was the one thing that, uh, ratchet couldn't take away right right the other another one or there's others too but the idea that he had you know he takes these gentlemen on a fishing trip and it just so happens that there are 12 of them which were <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the yeah. 12 disciples of christ and they are they these men are indeed in a lot of ways his disciples mm-hmm. right um yep, they yep. are you know we hope and understand that they will hopefully carry on the work of McMurphy that he has, that he has freed them to be who they, who they could be. So you mentioned though, when we talked about that and, and so I think that that's pretty clear that, that Casey's interested in, in, in examining him that way. But you said 
he's kind of a weird Christ figure. So uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So we, if we see these ways that he is, are you saying mm-hmm. that there are ways that he's not or that there are ways that it do- doesn't quite fit that? It's not so simple as all that. Right. Well, I mean, that's part of what makes this a great novel, right? We've talked about this a few times. The, the best heroes are the ones that are real people. Like mm-hmm. they're, they have their flaws and their darkness. Um, and just like the best villains are the ones who you seem to be good in ways. Right. You know, they have sure. their, their honest intentions or may, at least their seemingly good intentions whether or not they're honest and a lot of times that's the difference but with mcmurphy on the outside especially in the movie this is a little bit more clear Mm -hmm. his his place as a christ figure is very obscure like you i would never have got it just from watching the movie Ah, Um, the book i see a little bit more clearly because there's a lot more intentionality in what he's doing but he's he's very unchrist-like in all of this sort of um Traditional, traditional sense. ways, right. yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Not necessarily charitable. Not no, charitable. he's not particularly moral. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is. He he's a gambler. Uh, he's mm-hmm. a violent man, and uh, and and now that I think about it, actually, I guess one of the defining features of Christ was his willingness to be violent under the right situation. Mm-hmm. So he, there is a sense of righteous violence, and in that in that. Um, disrupting the gambling hall and things like that or the, when they turn the yeah when he turns church, the tables church, over right. in the temple uh-huh. you know he's yes. got all these people he's, he's called the, the, the turns the temple into a den of thieves and he goes right. in there and kind of wrecks house so that's I'm just saying that might be an example of what you're talking about right. Right, where he uses quote unquote violence when necessary when necessary yeah, exactly yeah. and so McMurphy maybe is is that too far you know taken mm-hmm. to the extreme and yeah. and that's uh, and he's disruptive to society I guess in, in, in the many of the same ways that, that Christ is and just like uh, Ratchet is actually a, a very a classic Pharisee in that uh, she's really concerned about the appearance of, of, of everything, right. but doesn't actually care for the well-being of anyone she's involved with, right. which is, you know, the typical Pharisee. There you the, go. The old whitewashed tomb. You know, <laughs> she's dead on the inside, but totally white and right. clear on the outside. Mm. And so, I mean, maybe he's not as much of a, I mean, it just... If you'd have met him on the street, you wouldn't have thought he was a good guy, you know? No, you wouldn't have. Uh, you wouldn't. But, um, he is, but it, he he does, and I, I can't really speak for the movie as much, um, but he is a likable character um, yeah. in, in this in this novel, despite his, you know, like like Josiah was saying, he's, he's not particularly moral. Um, he doesn't have a ton of... Um, traditional redemptive qualities no um, or but, traditional values like he doesn't care about right. sexual promiscuity or right. he's not really concerned about drugs or drinking or right. you know any of those yeah. things yeah no he's uh um but he does in a in in and i'd like to draw this parallel between looking back for a few weeks ago when we look at um ferris bueller and his relationship with cameron mm-hmm. uh and what and the way that ferris bueller allows cameron to become the cameron that he could possibly be you know what i mean and 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 allow that to happen and i think mcmurphy six has a lot of camerons in there you know, that he yeah he, yeah he, he allows so. through just this this just just being who he is in the same way that ferris just is this guy's gonna cut school we're gonna go on this cool trip through chicago yeah. uh mcmurphy says hey we're all in this, in this mental hospital let's let's get some things go, let's get some uh the, the TV in here. Let's change the rules. Let's have some fun. Let's go on a trip. Let's get it, you know, right. and, and, and sort of, uh, he's very brings, honest to himself. He's right. honest to who he is and what he likes, and what he cares about. And yeah. uh, he's not, he's not concerned about what other people think about him. 
Again, there's, he's he's a Ferris Bueller. Yeah, he really <laughs> or, is. Or, or Ferris Bueller <laughs> is, uh, since he was preceded by uh, McMurphy. Maybe we right. could say uh, Ferris Bueller <laughs> is a McMurphy. Um, um, well, and he really cares. He really one one thing that I think stands out to him, and I, perhaps this is probably is another Christ like attribute, is that he just accepts the people around him as they are. Yeah, you know, he's not particularly yeah. concerned about the homosexuality of the one character no, or the, the childishness of, of Billy or, uh-huh, um, yeah. or even just the, the general insanity of the chronics. Oh yeah. Like yeah. even, even chief, you know, he first is walking around introducing himself to everyone when he first right. shows up in the hospital and, and he's winking at chief. Like he knows he just sees right through his whole right, act. Like, I know yeah. you're just standing yeah, there. Yeah. He, he has, so he has this, he's really accepting of everyone. Yeah. And he's not, it just doesn't bother him that everyone's a little quirky. It doesn't bother him at all. And not only that, he actually goes so far as to accommodate them. So like yeah. they have all these card games and none of these people are any good at card playing. And he kind of manipulates the whole game and he wins a whole bunch. And then, and then, Oh, it actually on at least two different occasions, he wins all of their money and then he lets them win it lets all it, back. Lets them win it all back. And he does right, that a right, few right. times. Yeah. And he's, he's incredibly intentional, I think in a lot of ways with what he's doing. Right. And, and so you have to be intentional um, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, um, uh, uh, he, uh, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a good one. I think he's a great character. Yeah. Um, so we kind of started with him as sort of a Christ figure, this guy who, uh, you know, allows others to, um, to become who they are. And I think that's a, I think that's a huge theme of the, of the novel and the movie. So as the, as the villain, uh, what, what do you think of Ratchet and, and how, oh, she, how yeah. <laughs> what is it about her that makes her such a compelling villain? Yeah, there's a, yeah, that is, that's a great question. She is an interesting, interesting villain. I mentioned to Josiah that I was reading about, um, oh, what's her name? I can't remember her name. Who plays the, who plays her in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said she can't even watch that movie because of the evil that she sees in that character. So I'm thinking about this Nurse Ratchet as evil, and what has made her evil? Because it doesn't—it's not obvious in the reading that she is evil, right? Aside from like this intro that you know Chief sees her as this giant monster, right? She, everything right. she says is pretty tame. Yeah. She seems to be fairly she's patient, pretty innocuous. Yeah. yeah, she's not really. Yeah, she's not overtly like you know whatsoever. Yeah, everything seems like it's well intentioned. Right. You know, everyone on the outside looks up to her and thinks she's doing a fantastic job. So like, right. what is it that makes her such this? What is? I know. What, yeah, and she is like known as oh nurse ratchet nurse ratchet netflix just came out with a series called ratchet that's we're interested in exploring her background and her huh. origins so i mean just recently just within the I'll past couple weeks uh yeah this is uh, sarah paulson place so i'd be interested to see it as well um i've heard it's, it's got some sort of mixed reviews um but uh but yeah she's she, she's interesting enough that someone decided let's do a series about this person and see what made her become who she is but let's talk a little bit about what she is um this is a person who is in her about in her fifties. Um, she is a masculinized version of it's this woman who is uh, her femininity is absolutely contained yep. in a super stifled. tight fitting. Yeah, stifled is a great word uh, in this in this white tight fitting um, uniform. It's starched. It's stiff. It's arch and. Um, and there's much made of her breasts that are that are that are too large or larger than 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 average, expect, and, yeah. and and they're and they're they're sort of held in place or constricted in this this sort of uh, uniform uh, that she wears. But she, but she, 
has an absolute need to be in control. And I don't think she cares what happens in order to achieve that control. I am going to run this thing. And there's lots of examples of the way that she has handpicked her staff that she works with, how she has manipulated the doctors. She's a nurse. So typically in the hierarchy of, of, of medicine, the doctors would be above her. She is. She runs the show as right. a nurse mm-hmm. and actually has control of the doctors. Big time. Um, and so this is someone who absolutely thrives and needs control. The only time we see her actually sort of, uh, and she never really loses it. Um, she never really loses it, but she is, the only time we see her sort of slip a little bit is when her when she feels her control slipping away. Right. So, but again, is that answering the question of why does that make her such a right, villain? Right, because it seems pretty so, reasonable for a person who's like right, supposed to be right. creating some order out right. of an insane asylum. Like, right. you would expect to have someone slightly. So, I guess the villain, the villainy, might come in where I said earlier, I don't care who I hurt or what I have to do to maintain this order. Right. She's not actually concerned about the well-being of the people. No, she no. cares about the order of the place right more than anything and, more than anyone. and her reputation as a nurse and, and someone who's right. you know and so she's looking for accolades and things like that but i think that's where her i think that's where her villainy comes in hmm. um and you think about somebody who you know let's say that i really want to be a six i want to be successful in business that's that's admirable quality i want to strive mm-hmm. but if i'm manipulating and harming and destroying other people, people to get that yeah. Uh, to get that success in business, then I start veering into uh, villainy (laughs) rather than heroic. Um, And so she's, she has no heroic qualities. So if we think about her as a, you know, she's uh, at least none that I can think of. Right. It doesn't seem to be self We want to self-sacrifice. She puts on the facade of a democratic uh, structure of their meetings right, and then when they go right. to take a vote she wants to count all of the the invalids the chronics who like can't even vote right and so right. she's got all the, the facades of so many good things but but none of the actual right. part of it and that's those are those are the most dangerous people Ugh. also right the ones yeah. who really look the part of wow this is a great leader and this is somebody and on the outside you've got a you know she runs that that place so well there's no problems there people are are you know they're they're passive they're you know in in the i can think vernacular. of more than a few politicians who fit that bill absolutely <laughs> right that have this same thing and mm-hmm. um and so i think that's where her villainy comes so i think that one of the things that i that is my big that makes her the most evil in my mind and if and that's a strong word um but one of the things i think that makes her most evil is that she's willing to kill and destroy another person to win this battle between her and McMurphy of control. Now, and so, on my first reading, I didn't see that intentionality mm-hmm. uh, of that sacrifice. So you're talking about Billy, right? At, right? at the end. So can you describe how you see that? Because yeah. I, I didn't catch that my first time. Yeah, through. I think that throughout the novel, right, throughout the novel, I think that I can I can liken her to a chess player where she's always thinking of her next move and how whatever happens. I'm going to emerge in control here. So mm-hmm. if McMurphy does something, she's thinking a couple steps ahead, you know, like, you know, he's probably going to do this and then I will do this. And so there's, you know, that's, I think that's why she's quiet a lot and that she's, you know, that that's, that she's, she's playing chess and scheming, she's, you know, yeah. she's scheming. Yes. Yes. So what happens is, um, when, 
uh, Billy Bivet, the character who's the the virgin and the the one who has a, a, a strong ties to his mother, when he she talks about how she's uh, good friends with his mother. That's alluded to more than once. That right. Ratchet and Billy Bibbit's mom are old friends. Are old friends. Well, she, when bit when she finds out that Billy lost his virginity to a prostitute and 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 a, a night of drunken revelry, um, she so shames him in a way that I'm convinced that she knows he's going to do something destructive to himself, and he absolutely does in a very violent and dramatic way, cuts his own throat. Um, I think she absolutely knew that that was going to happen, but that was her final blow to McMurphy because now he's responsible for death, even though she is really responsible for his death. So I think that intentionality of, yes, I will sacrifice this person, and to make it the son of a friend actually makes it even more despicable. That is, that's really dark. And, and brings had, in the, that's really dark. Yeah, but yeah. she knows what she's doing. And, and someone might say, well, she didn't really know what she's doing. No, I disagree completely yeah. because there's never a moment in the book where she doesn't know what she's doing. And I come to think of it, in one of their early meetings, she's talking to Billy, and they're, they're having this conversation, and this is actually in the movie too, They uh, where Billy's talking about the time he proposed to his girlfriend and, uh, you know, everyone kind of teases him a little bit. And she sort of brings back the conversation by saying, wasn't that the first time you attempted suicide? And that knowing that he attempted suicide after just the experience of, of rejection, no, like she knows that Billy's unstable in right, that way. Right. She knows he's a risk of self harm. Right, right. And then to and she knows that his mom it, is this it, overly it, close yes, relationship right, right. just downstairs. Right, right. You know? Yeah. When she 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 says it's not that she says it's it's what brings on his suicide is not oh Billy, you were with a prostitute oh Billy and and the guilt and shame there the intentionality is. I wait to your mom. I have to tell your mother. I have to tell your mother about this. And and like you said, I think that's set up the, the the scene you described earlier to let the readers know she knows what she's doing. So therein, I think lies some of the evil. Now, um, I think her name is Louise Fletcher. The name just came to me, the actress who plays her. I can't think of any other like, uh, like truly evil actions that that take place there that's about the only thing that comes across is just plain evil there's a few things where she's a little bit manipulative or kind of bends the rules a little bit mm -hmm, or whatever for the sake of maintaining her order her control on everyone and i think that's where you know people don't like to see the the, this person taking advantage you know she takes advantage of other people so those things are 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 not positive but i don't think they're i don't think they could be characterized as evil um but i think that 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 move that she pulls with uh, Billy is huge. Let's talk about her as this. Um, um, I think we we can't talk about Ratchet without talking about sexuality and, yeah, and, and the whole femininity roles and masculinity. Of men and women, right, and, right. Because like you were saying earlier, this this could be a hard read for for a girl, um, mm-hmm. especially I was thinking in high school, like the high school age girl reading this. It would be easy for me to see 
um, you know, like Taming of the Shrew, I mentioned, <clears throat> it, it would be easy for it to come across as a fairly misogynistic work. Right. You know, the, the, the women on first glance on, on, on surface reading don't come across as there's certainly no Katniss Everdeen or, right. you know, there's sort of this modern move for these powerful female right, heroes. Right. And, it, and it has, it has over the years, you know, received lots of criticism about its mis- or purported misogyny. Right. That this is a novel that is really interested in or really sort of ripe with the idea that the female is dangerous and an object of, of hatred and mistrust. Um, so there is, there is these charges of misogyny. Yeah. And I, and I personally think that those charges are, are unfounded and, mm-hmm. and based on a very shallow reading. Um, there's, there's a few key elements where, where the women actually end up being just as heroic as uh, as ratchet is evil, <laughs> you know. I, I think that there is um, the the f- the femininity as such, but also the the element of of the ability of beauty to inspire, whether mm-hmm. that be the, the beauty of humor or the beauty of even just these these two women of ill repute who come in at a couple of occasions. Uh, they they are the catalysts for the transformation of everyone who changes right. in this movie. Let's clarify who those people are because we mentioned um so there are very few female characters in the novel right. uh there's another nurse that we get a little bit of information about mm-hmm. but the other she's females actually a real nurse like she right. actually cares about the patients right. and it's amazing how <laughs> within like three pages a very brief interaction yeah. you get to see a nurse who genuinely cares there you go yeah and, you yeah. know and that's a stark contrast right. to the way that right. ratchet you know her interactions mm-hmm. are but anyway go ahead so you don't get i mean you do get a little bit about harding's wife who doesn't come off as uh, what I would call flattering. Um, But uh, the other females are prostitutes that are, that are alluded to or actually embodied by candy on on two occasions. And then candy and her friend who Mm -hmm. on the, on the, on the Susie or something. Yeah. That the, the big party at the end. Uh, So, so when you were saying, but let's go back to what you were saying about how those prostitutes, these women of ill repute, how did you say it? Were, oh, that they're they're the catalyst for the transformation of of the men. Right. Yes, um, yes. And the way I see that uh, most significantly happens. Uh, well, going back to towards the beginning of the story when McMurphy first shows up and he realizes that there's no laughter. No one in that place has laughed mm-hmm. for years. That's what Chief says. Right. You know, there, there's no sincere sincere laughter whatsoever. And uh, you can tell that Mac is trying kind of again and again to to draw out the laughter from right. his other, you know, these fellow uh, patients there. Right. And he's unsuccessful until right. this moment where he gets them all out on this fishing trip. So he gets them all out on this boat, uh, and then he gets Candy to go with him. He he lies and says that his two aunts are coming to pick them <laughs> up and, and drive them out, and they're they're these uh, wives of widowed wives of fishermen. <laughs> Instead, he gets a couple of prostitutes to come, and only one ends up showing up. But the the doctor uh, sort of saves the day and drives the second car because he wants to spend a little time with her too. <laughs> right, right. It's the woman who is yeah, uh, who's has really the power crazy. here. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. And so anyway, so she draws she draws them out and she enables this experience for them to go out 
uh, out onto the water, which is another one of those sort of uh, baptismal uh, yes. moments <laughs> right. for another biblical Couldn't be reference. a hunting trip. Had yeah, to be right. a fishing Had trip. Had to be a fishing trip, right? <laughs> so not only is it the 12 disciples on the boat, but it's also, you know, people, the, the classic death and rebirth moment exactly. where they all get out on the water and gotta they come put a, back and they're changed And they're men. changed. Yep. We got to put them on the water. Yeah, like yep. I said, you can't go in the forest. You can't go, in, you can't go hunting. <laughs> right. You, you know, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's got to work with the water. Classic, right? classic <laughs> image there. Um, but anyway, so on this, it's on this trip where they, they go fishing and Candy's there and she's actually fish, she's actually under the deck presumably having sex with Mac and probably uh, having probably, sex with yeah. Mac <laughs> <laughs> not quite explicitly stated but most likely that's what's happening yeah. Um, and they and they drive through this the school of fish because they find out that one of the other patients there used to be a fisherman, right? Captain, and, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah. so Mac, he's the first uh, success story for Mac. Mac draws him out, puts him in charge of this boat, gives him a little responsibility, and he comes to life. He's yeah, this new person, right, like immediately. Right. And so it took a lot of cajoling and prodding, and he gets him out, and 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 he, he's transformed. So they get out there, they're fishing, uh, they start catching fish. It just turns into just chaos. Um, at, at some point, Candy and Mac both come running out to grab fishing poles and, and Candy's barely got her clothes on and her breast pops out on, and, and, and she's like holding the fishing pole between, between her breasts and her arms. And like, <laughs> you get this image that just holding on for dear life for this fish. And she's so into it and everyone else is into it too. And they all just start laughing at the ridiculousness of this moment. Right, right. right. And then it's the first sincere laughter that they experience, yeah. but it's this tra- very transformative moment mm-hmm. that is catalyzed by by beauty, essentially, and mm-hmm. by femininity, by yeah, femininity, yeah, yeah. and uh-huh. and num- but it's not the stifled, dangerous, controlling femininity of of Ratchet. It's not this uh, a, a lawyer who's got herself all put together. This person's kind of a mess. Like Candy's mm-hmm. sort mm-hmm. of a classic messy prostitute but she's out there and she's honest and she's real right and you you start to see why that's that's a risk for her just like it's a risk for mac to stand out uh, and be in front of the combine right, and right. try to fight it it's a risk for candy to be with all these guys in this right, you know, right, uh, right. group and then she's standing there on the dock while they're trying to get this these boats out she's getting catcalled right. and just harassed just putting herself guys. at risk right right, yeah. right. and mm-hmm. Uh, Billy, where for a moment starts get drawn out and and by her by her beauty, right. and she he asks a little bit chivalrous early on, but he kind of crumbles underneath the, the pressure right. of these these men who are uh, who are harassing her, and then sort of apologizes for it later, recognizing that in that moment he was smaller than he should have been. You know, mm-hmm. he, he wishes he was the bigger guy who could have stood up for her. And, right. But, but he just wasn't there yet. Right. Um, and, and sort of he recognizes that as a fault within himself. Right. But it's that, um, it's that true, this true beauty that, that enables, that causes him to be self-conscious, but in a good way. It actually right. helps him to see an area where he's weak um, mm-hmm. without shaming him. Right. And, and it, call, it sort of calls him forth. And yeah. I think it calls forth the joy out of everyone. It's a little bit of an inspiration for everyone. And then, of course, yeah. at the very end of the story, uh, Billy has his first sexual experience. There's this, there's this hint where it seems like, you know, he first gets out of it, even standing face to face with Ratchet. She asks him, are you ashamed of yourself? And he goes, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> and everyone else is kind of cheering for him. Yeah. And, of course, she she plays the low blow because she knows that he's an, mm-hmm. an eatable 
case, you know, yeah, he's, yeah. he's got this over attachment to his mom. So yeah. she kind of hits him below the belt. Uses that to her advantage. Right. Sure. And, yeah. and draws him back into, right. into the darkness that he, he almost escaped. Yeah. He was so close. I know. What could Billy have been if he, uh, he, he, he was just starting to make some progress. Right. You know what I mean? He was just yep. starting to move forward, but out of the control of Ratchet. And she was not going to have that. And that's the interesting thing is it's, it's Mac and it's these women. It's these, these elements of chaos that actually, mm-hmm. um, allow progress yeah. you know all the things that they call therapeutic are shaming and controlling and manipulative and yeah. keeping these these poor patients locked in right. but it's these it's this element of exposure to beauty in the outdoors mm. it's the little bit of chaos of an actual basketball game of the staff versus yeah, yeah. the people <laughs> right. it's these these moments that actually uh allow for some growth in right. the characters yeah as you were talking, I was put the mind of, of Chaucer and, you know, when it was famous when the first Canterbury Tales, the Knight's Tale, mm-hmm. where you have the women in the Knight's Tale. And this is in Chaucer's time. So uh, the women in, in, in the Knight's Tale are simultaneously powerful and powerless. You mm-hmm. know what I mean, they, they don't have the social ability to you know become you know, rise out of their station. Yeah, sort um, of but the, but they credit. absolutely set everything in motion. Right from the begin through throughout the Knight's <laughs> Tale, they are they are right. who are the, the knights who are f- that they're fighting for. Um, they set the the story is set in the Knight's Tale is set it's like in motion Helen of by yeah, right exactly exactly same kind of thing. So that it's um, so when I say powerless, I mean powerless as far as like you know they're you know they feel small they, and didn't vulnerable. Have, yeah, didn't have a lot of power in in society, but tremendous power in setting things in motion right, and uh, yeah and influence that way. So it's an interesting. You know, I think we see that a lot with Candy. I think that's a, that's exactly what's happening there. She's not not someone who's looked up to. Doesn't have a lot of power in her society. In fact, she's actually kind of scorned. You know, by right. by, contempt, by her contemporaries. Um, but she has tremendous power and a, a, a ability yeah. to you know foment change. So that's a it's, it's, it's another little hopeful element on the for the case of of the proper woman. Uh, actually, now that I think about it, is. At the very end of the story, when Ratchet is uh, hospitalized after being attacked by Mac, right. there's this other nurse that comes in and takes over the ward for a little bit, and it's the it's the one good nurse you meet uh, before Mac gets his shock treatment. Right, and she comes in and and runs the ward for a while, and they manage to undo a whole bunch of Ratchet's policies they get the place freed up a little bit Mm. and it's a little better place for everyone within a couple of weeks wow like all of her control and manipulation kind of goes down the tank within a couple of weeks and it's it the whole place is set free so quickly Ooh, i don't know if that's as well i I could be wrong but i I don't know if that's as well articulated in the book about that um it's only briefly mentioned yeah yeah, i was gonna say that seems to be brushed over pretty quickly but we should talk about that and that's where um I think that's where, you know, something's going on here where, um, you know, he doesn't have to. So what do you make of this idea that um, so when they have their final physical battle, uh, you know, he's the McMurphy attacks Ratchet because of what she's done to Billy. Right. Right. Um, That that he can't take anymore. He, he, He goes after her. But Casey makes a real point of having her. be sort of ripped out of this uh, nurse's uniform and her big pendulous breasts exposed. And, uh, and, and 
and I know that girls and females are kind of like, well, what, what's up with that? What is, what's the obsession with the, with the breasts? And why do they, why does he have to, why does he have to rip her clothes off? Why does he it have to like a rape scene? It, like, it, it has, it has element. It has, uh, um, overtures of, of rape in there. Yeah. And so, um, so what's up with that? What, what is, you know, how are you, how, you know, again, we're dealing with a bunch of men, okay? Right. So yes, they're going to be, you know, talking about. There's a whole chapter about, uh, you know, women and having sex and how you know you got to be a man and you know, right. you know, and um. Well, there's definitely something. There's something to. Uh, there, there, there's. Guys, we haven't really talked about the masculinity element too much. Well, let's maybe talk that's, about it. Let's yeah, talk about that. That's a good starting point for yeah. that because there's something. Uh, key to masculinity and sex like they're they're tied together and it's hard to say exactly what that is and, and one of the characters you really like and i don't know why i always blank on his name but the homosexual character harding harding, harding. Uh-huh. yeah he's was this brilliant character really yeah. well well-versed guy articulate probably the smartest guy in the book absolutely yeah, yeah. and he's sort of the the, the head he calls him what the head goose loony or the know, <laughs> right, right. But, um before before uh, matt gets there and so he's he is there voluntarily and it has something to do with his sexuality and then sort of his unwillingness to embrace it. Mm -hmm. Um, but he's not, he's, he's not, uh, denigrated for that whatsoever, not by Mac or not by any of the characters you you value. So it's not necessarily, uh, heterosexuality specifically, but it's the willingness to embrace, uh, the man's sexuality. That is part of what, is key. Uh, that's that's an element of their agency, I guess. You know, okay. men are even even in the homosexual world. Men are tend to be much more sexually charged, have mm-hmm. more energy, more um, drive, mm-hmm. and that's that's one of the more solidly proven um, medical differences between the biological male and female. It's not particularly controversial, except in sort of the extreme social sciences, which want to deny it. But it's just <laughs> it's it's fairly well proven so it's not even a controversial statement so much but um but you see that with with all of them uh and ratchet describing and and mac describing ratchet as a ball cutter there's something about uh and i like to see the analogy of horses there's the gelding and the stallion and while the gelding is relatively safe and controlled and you can ride them and you can generally count on them and they're reliable uh, the power and the aggression of a stallion is what is necessary to be effective mm. against like in battle or um, like you never, you never hear of a, ri- a knight riding a gelding into battle. It's, it's, right. you know, they jump on their wild stallion mm-hmm. and, and rare is the man with the courage and capacity to tame one. Right. And, and it's that there's this synergy that happens and, and, and that is comes out of that sort of sexual energy in some sense. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's it's hard because it's it's an untamed force. It's an untamable force, right. and and that's part of why Ratchet tries so hard to suppress it. Right. Um, and it's something that Mac is. <laughs> he figures that that if there's anything that makes him insane, it's because he fights too much and you know and he screws too much, and that's right. you know he's this untamable sexual energy sort of tied to that. All those things are are well thought out and well articulated that you just said. I want to go back to if we look at like why does this have to happen this way? So we know Mm -hmm. that there's there's the there's this uh, um, 
moment the, the of conflict. Moment of, moment of yeah. intense conflict yeah, where yeah. this attack that fight. happens. Um, and that could have happened in many different ways, right? He could have just punched her. He could have knocked her out. could right. have, uh, um, you know, sort of got down and just started beating her. But it's, it's a sexualized... It is. It's um, a sexualized uh, uh, conflict. Uh, uh, yeah, conflict. So why do you think Casey decided to you know, have that attack be so sexualized. Like, again, I want to come back to, not because I'm pervy about it, but, but the right, idea that the, very that the breasts, you know, it, it become, it, it's almost like it's, it's, it's so intentional right. that as a, as a, as a literary person, I'm like, okay, well, these breasts are, you know, there's, right, there's something keep here. Being mentioned. Yeah, What's yeah. the point here? Right. So anytime we, we have any kind of repetition <laughs> or when that becomes, you know, that, that we know that there's something going on there, what that something is, is often up for interpretation. So yeah. I just will, I'll throw that out at you. Why, why sexualize that attack at the end? So the one thing that comes to mind, and, and it's a really good question. I hadn't thought about it. I thought about it a little bit, but didn't come to a good conclusion before. But mm-hmm. one thing that comes to mind is, uh, this idea that breasts are for nurturing. I mean, like that's, that is the, one of the things that women are supposed to do and they're, they're built for is to mm-hmm. nurture the young uh-huh. and to take care of them. And their breasts are this sign of comfort and ratchet stifles that. So, aggressively that mm. you almost can't tell she has them <laughs> right, while right. everyone secretly knows that they're big and right, she right. has all this potential for it. Yeah. And it's like, it's almost like max symbolic last ditch effort to, to reveal to herself and everyone else that ah. this comfort, like that she ah. actually is made to be a comfort and not a, right. not a manipulative destroyer. Right. And, and um, it, yeah. And, and, and an exposing of right. who you really are. Exactly. This is who you are. Like, I don't care who you've, Pretend to be exactly right. You you know, deep down, this is who you're meant to be, whether or not you choose to reject it. Right. Um, I think that's a fine interpretation. Yeah, it's well support could be well supported with evidence from the text for sure. Just a hard thing to swallow, though. Like it's it's it is a very I mean, especially in the in the Me Too era. Oh yeah, it doesn't go over well with uh, with with uh, with people. Right, because you Um, can't condone his actions, but at the same time, someone needed to someone needed to stop her. Right. It was obvious at this point that it, it was past the point of, of negotiation at some, in some right. sense. Like I, I was thinking that we would, if we had a, a you know, someone who identified him or, or herself, I was going to say herself as a feminist, but it could be a, a, a man could be a feminist as well. Um, <laughs> if we had a, someone in here who was, who identified as a feminist, I'd be really interested to hear yeah, um, their perspective what on that. her or his perspective would be on that same question. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an, it's an, it's definitely an interesting one. Um, we can talk about, um, we talked about one of the fundamental differences between Jack Sparrow and Ferris Bueller, who similarly allow other people to understand who they are and f- sort of free them to be the, the people they can be right. uh, to discover their agency and discover their power through that agency. Um, the big, uh, the big difference is that, that um, McMurphy has to die for that. Whereas Ferris and Jack live on. I suppose that's what makes him more of the Christ figure in this instance. Uh-huh. Definitely. Um, so, I guess the, the question becomes, uh, and, and so what happens is, um, is that once that he has ha- had that attack, then he is now an absolute danger, and yep. he has, you know, pro- McMurphy has proven that he is a, a, a horrible, horrible person and must be controlled, um, and so he let he let loose in the way that that Ratchet was able to keep under, you know, under wraps the whole time. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So right. he. She wins because he 
he lost it. You know, right. he lost that 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 self control, and that costs him dearly. So, um, so that allows him to outside. be. At least from the outside. Right. It looks like he lost his self-control. Of course, he could have done it just as intentionally as she played her move on Billy. That could you know? be, yeah. Because yeah. you get the sense that Mac Ooh, that's was a actually... Good point. That's a good point. Um, I think what you're saying is that, that maybe that was absolutely intentional. Like, I'm done. Forget it. I'm, I know this is I know this is going to cost me everything, yep. but it has to be done. I think that was the that was the the sense I got from the book. Ah, I didn't get that as much from the interesting. movie. Interesting. Yeah, no, nah, it's a great. I like that I because like that. you know, uh, and and Chief makes the point to say that uh, like because because Ratchet at one point tries to convince everyone that Mac is only befriending them and being cool to get all their money, right? right? right. But you also know that he keeps letting them win it back, so right. that can't really be yeah. it. Um, and there's there's an interesting commentary on capitalism there, but I won't go there. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so so Mac actually, at, at, it, according to Chief's description, proves that he's not just in it for his own gain, uh, despite right. the fact that Ratchet tries to convince everyone otherwise. Right. And so, and you also see that actually Mac knew how to get out of the building for a long time as well, and he had chosen not to leave yet. Um, because he wanted to make sure that other people could escape at some point too. Uh, he he uh. was not wanting to leave them in their plight. Right. And you kind of get that sense from the, mm. from the book. And then you realize here that's at the right, end that he, yeah. Yeah, that's despite right. it all, Ratchet was still going to have control over everyone. Right. And Billy was going to die and pay for it. And so it seemed to me like a very conscious decision to um, like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to intervene here in a way that, I can. And yeah. I know that it's going to cost me. Right. And he, I, yeah. You know. He knew that this would be it for him probably. Right. Um, and, and it was. And it was. And he yeah. is, uh, he's lobotomized. And mm-hmm. then uh, he comes out and as he emerges from his lobotomy, chief changes the pronoun and begins to call him it instead mm-hmm. of, uh, instead of he. So he, chief realizes this is, you know, he's gone. He's, he's gone. Yep. There's no humanity, no individuality, no, no, no agency left at all. And can't bear that and uh, does what <laughs> Josiah called the uh, mice and men moment and decides <laughs> to stifle him and, 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 and kill him with yeah. a, rather than let him live as a vegetable. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what happens after that, shortly after that, is we return to the control panel and Chief actually takes this control panel and, you know, it, it, this symbolic control, wrenches it from the ground throws it through the window, which is alluded to earlier, that right. that would be the means of escape, and and actually leaves the hospital yep. and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and ends on a very hopeful note. The other men are are um, um, similarly set free. Yeah, they all um, check themselves out over the next, right. like, whatever, couple weeks. Right, right. So, um, so he is successful right. in uh, allowing people to discover their individuality and gives them back their agency. And we have some hope. Yeah, to show them they can stand up to the immovable force and, right. uh, and they are capable of making a difference for themselves. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Which I think is, is, is when we talk about universality and we talk about the truth in fiction, mm. I think that, that that's you know. That's a big message. Right, that's a huge message. Are you willing to wrench this really, you know, thing that's, that's anchored into the floor, this immovable thing? Are you willing to yeah. make the attempt to... You right. Know, Are you willing to be as big as you can be? Right. That's and it. And not only that is, 
are you aware of the costs if you don't? Right. And okay. yeah. And let's talk about some of those costs because we yeah. see that with the men in the, you know, like what has happened to these guys? These guys aren't living no. uh, until They're, Max shows them that they can actually be alive. Right. They are as much an it as he is, the lobotomized <laughs> person right. at the, when they come in, when, uh, w- when he first meets them. Yeah. And Billy ultimately by, by in the end, choosing not to separate himself from his mom and, and, become his own man mm-hmm. and embrace his sexuality and embrace mm-hmm. you know his his personhood essentially but he he doomed himself uh to, to shame and suicide right. and so he right. kind of takes an escape there as well but that's that's kind of the um the alternative for these guys right. you know if if you don't take the the high, not the high road if you don't take the road of of becoming as powerful as you can be right um, that's where you kind of end up. Right. That, that's the opposite side. Choosing to do and say things that make you weaker is a self-destructive path. Absolutely. And I think that one of the things that that puts a, sort of an, an emphasis on that is the fact that these men have done this to themselves willingly. Yeah, voluntarily. Because these are not men who are committed to this uh, okay. mental hospital. There are some, very few, but there are. Some, uh, but most of these guys are in here on their own accord, which I think is a huge peace again we talk about how would it be different if they were committed if someone had told them no Completely you, you have it. to be that no these are people who have chosen to yep. live in this safe place and they've chosen to ignore who they are um and and if we look at harding's chosen to uh not embrace his sexuality or not look at you know this is who i am and this is how i'm gonna you know get on with my life and it's gonna be a challenge it's gonna be absolutely against the combine but this is who i am and i'm going to be the individual that i am um he's chosen to say no i'm 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 not i'm gonna go into a safe place and i will closet myself and i will you know i i I can't function out there in the in the real world because i'm I'm different Um, yeah and it kind of takes away their excuses too because because mac while he's even committed there and basically his only hope for escape in 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 everyone's mind is to play the game and to conform and be controlled right his his only hope for escape is that so he really he's more locked in than anyone and yet he still chooses to be himself and still chooses to take agency and not conform mm -hmm. it takes away all their excuses yeah yeah. like they they have to know at that point that no i i'm here on my own like this is my own doing i'm not the victim necessarily here this is my fault and and i'm the only one who's gonna be able to get myself out of here right and but he puts it all back in their court right it's so true. I'm thinking too what you just said about the idea that he, um, that Mac, because he, the, the 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 flaw that he has, and it's a it's a it's very logical flaw is that he he misunderstands the system right. and believes that being in the mental hospital is just the same as having a prison sentence, where a sentence has an ending, right. where when you are committed, you are at their control and they can keep you however long they want, and that realization. Is, is staggering for McMurphy it's because huge. now it puts him in this issue of now I, if I want to get out of here, then I can't be who I want to be or I can't be who I am. And I have to be the kind of person that I'm really basically preaching against or that I, that yeah, I, that I feel, despises. yeah, I mean, it, it creates this horrible conflict for him where it's like, wait a minute. I will have to actually conform and I will have to swallow the kind of person that I am and be this other person to get out. Um, but he won't do it. I right. mean, even, even if it means his freedom, 
he won't do it. And like you said, that that takes away all excuse making for the you know, if, if McMurphy's willing to sacrifice his life for this, you know, no, I will not. I will not go down that way, mm-hmm. um, which is and what it's he's admirable, saying. Right? And it's admirable that he does that. You know, the, the, even those, the, the, all the other men in there look at his sacrifice and his willingness to, to be stuck there or not be stuck there or make a break for it or right. choose not to make a break for it, even though he could for the sake of helping them get themselves free. Right. Like that's what makes him so admirable despite being you know, a questionably moral character. Yeah, yeah. Because he could just he could just play the game. He could just yes, Miss Ratchet, yes, Nurse Ratchet. I mean, he could and, just tell the doctors, and, 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 "Yeah, I've been faking it. I know," yeah. and he could get out of there. Right, right. But uh, but being true to you know who, who you are, I think, is such a such an important thing. And and we talk about again truth and fiction mm-hmm. uh, about you know, and, and we've talked about that over and over in here about this idea of. You know, we talked about embracing your 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 darkness, you know, and and, and, right. and, and being who you are. This is who I am, mm-hmm. and um, I want to make another point on that because we didn't we we touched on it kind of vaguely, but the, that idea of of um, integrating your shadow uh-huh, yeah. is is really key in this. I mean, you could tell that that's that's something McMurphy's done on a deep level. Like right. he he has accepted the fact that he can be a violent man. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the key transformation with Chief, too. So Chief, at the very end of it, you know he's ready to go. He sees himself, he's big as a mountain, and he actually has to, his last act that demonstrates this transformation of integrating his own shadow, and he took the step that his dad wasn't able to do by embracing this fact that he actually, no, he, like his dad wasn't willing to be the bad guy and not let his tribe sell out and hold on to this money because he could have. He, he could have. have. He could have fought it. Right. He could have. He could have fought it. And he and he would have looked bad at, to everyone else and and it ate him up on the inside. Yeah. Even though he had money, right? He got right. the money and it was fine and everything. It wasn't fine. No, it, it wasn't. It, it he compromised him. who he was. He compromised who he was. Just in the way that the same way that Chief is compromising who he is to by, be there by being in the hospital. Right. right. So Chief's final act is an act of violence that sets uh, Mac free. Like yeah. it's, it's violence that sets him free yeah. and it's violence that, that chief had to be able to do himself. Like he had to, he had to be willing to be noticed, willing to be seen, willing to, to for a guy who's done nothing but stand there and hold a mop for almost the entirety of the, the, <laughs> right. the story up until that point. Yeah. Um, he, he realized that he was willing to look bad in order to do what was necessary um, and what was right. right. And yeah. that was, uh, that's a huge transformation. And I think right. that's, that's something that our, our society could use more of right. more people, more. And in fact, actually, when I think about it, wow, the people who I admire more than anyone else right now are the people who are willing to look, uh, bad, willing to have the Twitter mob come after them, mm-hmm. willing to have, uh, poli- the like the political structure, hate them. Right. I, like I think of Joe Rogan, uh-huh. he's one of this horribly pol- polarizing figure uh, because on one hand, he, he says he's super liberal. He has ridiculous conservative people like Alex Jones on his podcast mm-hmm. and lets millions, tens of millions of people listen to this guy mm-hmm. because he's not he's not ide- ideologically motivated. He's He is his own individual person. Right. He's genuinely curious, and right. he's willing to let people be themselves on his podcast through honest conversation, right. and he's either loved or scorned. Like The people mm-hmm. who love him love the fact that he's so open and that he right. brings all these interesting people. And then, 
you know, he'll have this brilliant PhD scientist and the next day he'll have just this foul mouthed comedian who can't say <laughs> anything like of any <laughs> sense on, and they'll be smoking pot like the whole time. Right. So he, he's, he's, he's this person who is totally okay with who he is doesn't care that people scorn him, refuses to read comments whatsoever, mm-hmm. doesn't engage on social media except to put out who he is, uh-huh. to be exposed to the criticism of the crowds, right. just like uh, like Candy. Like he he yeah. and he's become this icon, this inspiration right. for people. In many yeah. ways, he's the inspiration of this podcast. Right. Yeah. Because he just stands for truth. You yeah. know, he doesn't know what the truth is. He he says, "Ah, I'm right. an idiot. I don't know anything." Oh yeah. All yeah. I do is you know let people talk, and and at right. least they can know I'm being honest because I just right. don't care what anyone else says or thinks, and no one owns me, and I'm going to do what I want. Well, and, his his ultimate message is the same message that's in this book, right? It is. I mean, it really it's, is. It's, that's that's the and that's I can absolutely get behind that too, especially in in today's times. Uh, Josiah and I were talking about this, the, and we talked about earlier today too, the the pendulum shift of that. Mm. Wow, I think we are moving into an era of more um, less. I'm gonna I'm gonna stifle my feelings. I don't want to get you know called out by the mob. I don't want to be called out by um, you know it, 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 when it becomes dangerous to speak one's mind or when it becomes when it right. becomes a, a threatening to be the individual that you are. Um, that's where we run into really huge problems. Oh my gosh! So that's why I love Joe Rogan who. And, and certain, um, you know, publications that that really do attempt to produce a balanced view of things. Yeah. You know what I mean, is, oh, is yeah. where I really I, I, I have great fear of this, uh, you know, stifling voices on um, either you know, side. Gosh, on I either mean, side. absolutely. The, yeah. It, no, no matter which a, which side of the political spectrum you land on, there's this. Right the extreme polarization where if you're not all the way to one side, then you're just going to be crushed by people on your own, like your own friends and your people who even mostly agree with you. It's crazy. Yeah. It's something that's, that is, um, you know, fairly recent. And I I think in my, in my lifetime, you know, I I haven't seen this kind of, uh, and you can think of all the different reasons why that's that's pretty good research to show that it's not just your observation, Uh, but. but the idea that, that man, we are, you know, we, I don't want to live in a world where I have to worry about, you know, that I can't be who I want to be. You right. Know? You know? Right. And so there's is this interesting sort of conflict, too, because you have sort of a, a liberal point of view that says, hey, we need to be who we are and let's, let's let everyone, we love everybody and let's mm-hmm. let people be who they want to be. But there's, <laughs> but there's an undercurrent to that that says, as long as we approve, <laughs> you know what right. I mean? as, as long as you agree with us. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you know, it, it, it's like, uh, wow, uh, the, the, some of the, uh, it's a whole new combine is what it is. Ah, it, it does. It, it has, and it, and, and it, and it has a look like a nurse ratchet, you know, that has, Oh, here's a helpful person who has right. order and it's all for the good. It's all good. Right. But what are we, uh, what are we sacrificing by, giving ourselves up to the combine like that. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and they're telling us for, it's for our own good and yep. it's not, you know, so that it, it, it really does start echoing in a, and we don't want to get too political. We, we, no. we, we don't want to do that, but, but you can see say, that it brings up these ideas of, we started talking about chaos and order or controlled mm-hmm. versus the controlled. And, and we see that happening in our world today. And Definitely. what are the costs of, conformity what are the costs of being controlled well Uh, as as individuals when we when we stifle ourselves for the sake of avoiding uh conflict or for the sake of avoiding the the inevitable social media hammer below Uh if we stifle ourselves for the sake of that what happens is we become small 
mm-hmm. you know, not right. only, not only do our following, like literally our followings decrease. If you look online, yeah. like <laughs> right, you know, you're, right. you're going to lose friends. Of course you'll lose friends if you stand up for yourself too. Sure. But, yeah. or if you uh, say something unpopular, right. If you or say if something you say, unpopular. Sure. Exactly. It's like, yeah. there's no, there's no pleasing everyone obviously, but, mm-hmm. but there, there is a very real psychological sense of becoming small when we compromise what right. we truly think, um, for the sake of appearing good on the outside. Right. Right. And, and there's an, a really, a very true sense about becoming large, becoming big, right. um, that comes out of that honesty. And mm-hmm. I think that's, I mean, Rogan in particular, that, that's what he has going for him. Like yeah. he's, he's only continued to grow at, at with his no compromise stance of just being honest and being truthful. It. Yeah. It's, it's really a, a, you know, who knows what's really the truth in this world. Right. But at the very least is we can, we can not lie. Right. We can commit to, not compromising what we actually think. Right. And we can talk right. about what we think, whether or not it's popular, whether right, or not right. other people agree with it. And I wish we could live in a world where we could be okay with uh, the, yep. uh, the differing points of view. You know yeah. what I mean? The polarization that it's talked about a lot, you know, mm-hmm. and again, there's lots of reasons you know, why that has happened. Um, but man, if we could just, you know, I we just feel like there like was Mac a, here I just, just feel like there was a time, right. I feel like there was a time when my parents, you know, when they never talked about their politics and they had friends of all different political leanings um, and they didn't focus on their differences. They focused on their, hum- their, their shared humanity. Let's, we enjoy going bowling yeah, <laughs> and right. we, and we enjoy camping together and Talks we enjoy <laughs> having a glass of wine on the patio. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, now, I mean, I, it's unbelievable to me that there are people, um, that are, you know, driving by and flipping off people who have a Trump flag in their mm-hmm. car or, or creating, like, you know, just because I say I'm for a political candidate or for, because I'm for this, you know, that I'm somehow less. Um, and I'm like, wow, as if that's all someone is. Oh, he's a Biden supporter. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, he's a Trump supporter. Oh, gosh. And, and yeah. you know, that is incredibly dangerous in my mind that, that if, if we can't, if we're letting that, um, Ooh. dictate how we like interact with people oh, on a day to day basis. No, yeah, that's, a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a really slippery slope. And that's a, that's a, you know, a tough thing because what happens then we just insulate our, ourselves with others who have the same belief that we have mm-hmm. and we get this echo chamber happening. And that's where, again, where I love this idea of Joe Rogan, what he's doing, he's saying, no, I'm not going to surround, I'm not going to only invite people on my show who think the way I do, uh, <laughs> right. which is how both the right and the left, <laughs> right. everyone you know, does bring that. their that's guests pretty standard on. Now. Yeah, that's, that's pretty standard. Right. Um, so again, I appreciate certain publications. Um, I've been reading a lot of the wall street journal, which some would say, Oh, it's a considerate, th- uh, conservative, um, uh, piece media of media outlet, yeah. media outlet but um but i actually find them to be the one of the most balanced out there um as far as um you know i i, 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 yeah. I don't follow any mainstream yeah. media whatsoever no. because at this point where anywhere i can trace the money i can pre- i can be fairly confident that they've got an agenda yeah you know and that's and that's i mean that that's the reality of uh I mean, that's the reality of those institutions. I mean, that's right. the, the uh, ratchet's agenda and her, everything she does is to maintain order, you right, know, to, right. to have a, something that looks good and looks consistent right. and, and they're willing to compromise on almost everything else for that sake of that. Yeah. And, and I see yeah. that, I mean, I see that push on both sides. The conservatives right. are they're they want to have this appearance of, 
uh, of order and and consistency with their platform. You know, we're we're this rebel break down the system. Uh, or, I mean, not, I mean that's kind of Trump thing specifically, but they've kind of united around right. him as a or symbol. This idea that you know less government interference, less government. Well, that's control, not really so. a conservative thing anymore. That's about libertarians. The only people saying less government these yeah, days. True. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one thing that seems to be bipartisan is more taxes and bigger government. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, but anyway, I mean, uh, a little political. Yeah, we did take a little political bird yeah. walk there, and we said we wouldn't do that. So <laughs> yeah, right. Try to well, avoid why don't that. We, uh, maybe we can uh, wrap things up. Uh, we yeah. actually did kind of. Uh, we did. I think we were kind of moving towards a conclusion there mm-hmm. about this idea of you know embracing the shadow, being who you are, being more of a Mac, more of a chief, right? Uh, less than a less ratchet more ferris there's one yeah right <laughs> more right. sparrow <laughs> there's there's one other thing i want to add to that i think this book illustrates well that maybe it didn't clear it was not as clear in some of these other ones is the um not only to to be more like the hero but but to not uh to avoid being the kind of person who stifles uh who stifles that masculine energy mm-hmm. uh, i feel like we live in a in a culture that is, is very anti-men and like the worst thing you can be right now is a white male. Oh yeah. That's like that's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you're, uh, incriminated of, of all the sins of humanity. If you're a white male at this point. <laughs> yes. And we carry that cross. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is like, that's that, I think that is very much the spirit of ratchet. Um, because it, it denies all of the value of the stallion. Like it denies all of the, the, the work that can be done. There's a, there's actually this verse in the Bible that says that, uh, where the manger, uh, let's see, the, the manger is clean, but much gain comes from the strength of the ox. <laughs> so you can have a clean manger or you can have an ox that does work and you can't have them both. Mm. And, and I feel like we're in a society that's tries, try, that is trying to be clean trying to be too safe, you know, the, the college safe space movement, the, Mm -hmm. the online censorship that's designed to make those, keep those platforms safe. Um, Mm -hmm. the, the, the censorship of radicals on, on all sides. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, the, it's all under the, the mantra of safety and security. And, and I think what we're building for ourselves is a hospital to live in. Um, and by, and a lot of these people who are who stand up for these sorts of things these, the, are are people who are rejecting the value of the messy, chaotic process. Oh gosh, yeah. You know, there there is a certain amount of violence that comes with actual beneficial social change. Oh gosh, yeah. You can't just have a safe world that no, that no, that progresses I, positively. No, I get very worried about this uh, uh, almost pathological avoidance of discomfort uh-huh. where, where, and I, see, where yeah. I see discomfort as liberating it's and, the and trigger it's, it's and, the and, only and, way and, and it's like wow that you know without you know if you're if your goal is to eliminate discomfort um, my goodness, you're you guarantee have a, yourself to be stuck yeah, and useless have a and heck small. of a time. And you're going to have lots to lots to talk about, about yeah. how you can find <laughs> all the wrong thing, all the things that make people uncomfortable or all the right. things that cause, you know, stress and anxiety. Um, 
but rather than fixing those, why don't or trying to attempt to fix, why not embrace mm-hmm. the discomfort and embrace yeah. this chaos a little bit? And I mean, it's pretty you know, obvious from the characters in this story that those who have who have chosen the security and safety of the hospital are the ones who are worse off. Absolutely, and you know, the, it's that the freedom and the chaotic and the willingness to be uncomfortable, right. as well as to occasionally afflict discomfort on others. Mm-hmm. Um, coming out of a, out of a sincerely good right, heart is right. is actually what what mediates the change the transformation of individuals forward drives them drives them into new and better things and and I don't think you can have that progress without it I agree completely and that's not political I think that's that's universal <laughs> I think that's yeah. a universal I think yep. that's a truth so we'll we'll close with that and what do we have on on tap coming up Mr. All right uh, Josiah you know, I'm not remembering. I think that we were. I think we're gonna uh, go back into the uh, young Harry Potter. I think we were gonna talk about. Oh, I've been uh, looking forward to this uh, one. Yeah, or we can. uh, We have a couple. Another film we wanted to talk about as well. All right, Age of Ultron. So that's what we got coming up next. Um, We're gonna talk about that movie. It's one of the (laughs) Avengers movies. It's actually not one of the the most well received. collectively like in the public uh-huh. but it's one of my personal favorites because right. i think it has some some depth to it that uh some of the other superheroes don't so we'll be talking about we'll be back talking about heroes yep. and we'll be talking some about more archetypal okay. characters there and what we can get from that and we do we'll have, have a great bible references harry, we do too. have harry coming down the pike don't yes, we? yes and that'll be the next one we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna if, for those of you who have read the harry potter series we're gonna address some of the books and there'll be some overlap with the movie so you'll get something out of it even if you haven't read it but mm-hmm. we're going to sort of tackle the last three in the series there and uh, at least get get some idea uh, and most most of what we'll address will come from those last three books because they're the, awesome. they're the richest and deepest of All those right. yeah there's lots to talk about with old harry that's that's gonna be that's gonna be really fun a yep. lot of fun so some good uh, conversations yeah. there it's good hanging out with you steve and thank Me you guys too. for joining us here at truth and fiction and I look forward to seeing you guys next time see you next time